Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, who is the author of a new book, a memoir, The Man I Never Met. Talk to Adam about this very personal book, his journey in telling this story, and a little NFL talk. Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, and the Patriots off the top. Here's my visit with Adam Schefter. So welcome into Adam Schefter, ESPN's NFL insider, good friend, and the author of a book that will be available everywhere today. First day of release for The Man I Never Met, a memoir by Adam, which I've read. It is moving. It's really powerful. I think a lot of people who've read it so far feel that way. Adam, it's great to have you in here to talk a little NFL and a lot about the man I never met. Well, Wolf, it's an honor to be with you. You know how I feel about you. I appreciate you taking time to read the book, and thank you for having me as a guest today. Well, there's a lot to get to, and we it's funny. We talked a little bit about the book while you were in the process of writing it. You you co-wrote it with Michael Rosenberg, who's you know, really one of the best, uh, one of the finest journalists of our time. He writes for SI, an author of some other books himself, and he worked with you on the book. Before we get to it, here's my stock NFL question for you. This is the one I, I, and I've been thinking about through the preseason. So, all right, Brady and Garoppolo, do you think that if the Patriots could do it over again, they knew Jimmy Garoppolo was very good. Bill Belichick Mm -hmm. knew that. Do you think they'd still trade him or do you think they would have maybe waited longer and made that harder decision to maybe push Brady out a year or two earlier than they knew, you know, he could still play at a high level to say, we've got our guy for the next 10, 12, 13 years. I mean, I guess that was the question that hung over that organization for a long time. Do you think there's any regret in that building about that trade? I think I'm sure there is some. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a top quarterback in this league for the next decade or so. And you don't want to let a guy like that go when Tom Brady's at the tail end of his career. In a perfect world, you get to hold on to both guys, and when Brady walks away, decides to walk away, Garoppolo is ready to step in and assume the throne. But it didn't work out like that for a variety of reasons. Jimmy's contract was coming up. Tom's not ready to quit playing just yet. And people say that timing in life is a lot. And in this particular case, it was. Because if Tom had decided a year ago that I'm done, maybe they would have been able to keep Garoppolo, sign him to a long-term extension. If his contract weren't coming up at that point, maybe they could have held on to him for another year without losing him. But for whatever reason, there was a 180 within the organization going from where they weren't going to deal him and were determined not to deal him to all of a sudden rushing to trade him right before the trade deadline last year on Halloween. And so it happened very quickly, very suddenly. And yeah, I I think there are people that definitely would not want him traded, but that was the circumstance and situation that they were in at that point in time. How much patience did Garoppolo have left with waiting and not playing, knowing he was ready not just to be a starter, but I'm sure believing he could be an elite quarterback in the league. Was he at the end of his rope in waiting on this, that he didn't want to play? I'm trying to think of some comparisons in history. There was kind of, you know, Staubach and Danny White was one. Steve Young behind Joe Montana. And Steve Young in Montana was the bigger one, right? And the difference was Young played. I mean, he was getting... 
they had worked him, as I recall, and you, you know much better, they had worked Young into, he would play some. There were times, and Montana didn't like it, that Steve Young, uh, that NFL life they did on Steve Young, I thought was really, really good. It was based off Steve's book, right? Yeah. And he got into a lot of that. But Jimmy didn't play at all. That was, I guess, the difference. Yeah. Well, just think about it. Just reverse it around. Like if the Patriots had followed the 49ers blueprint and decided, hey, let's trade Tom Brady and hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo. The idea of it is blasphemous. It's unimaginable, unthinkable. But that would have been one of the options they could have pursued. They didn't do that. Right. And they didn't go in that direction. But it's just interesting to think how things would have been different if they had gone in that direction, which they didn't. And again, I think Jimmy was patient. But the fact of the matter was his contract was coming up. So he had been as patient as he could be. He didn't have to go to them and say, hey, I want to play. He knew his time was coming. So, again, once that contract was up, he would get to choose where he goes, whether he wants to sit behind Brady, whether he's willing to continue doing that, or whether he wants to go take over a starting job. And the 49ers traded for him. And, and you know, I, I believe, you know, they, they, they had an idea of the quarterback they were getting, but they didn't know they were the type of quarterback they were getting. And you can't know what kind of player you're getting until you actually are around him and watch him practice and watch the way he works and see his work habits and see how early he gets to the facility and how late he stays. And the 49ers went into that relationship open-eyed and very curious to see because everybody had talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. He was something of a myth. He was this quarterback that every team coveted, but nobody knew exactly what he could do. Everybody had heard great things. And I can tell you this, he got to San Francisco, and within a month they had seen exactly what he could do and what the fuss was about because they think he's tremendous. Yeah, the the one comparable – it's not completely comparable, but the similar trade in terms of getting the guy and realizing, wow, he's better than we even mm-hmm. imagined is James it Harden. It happens all the time. Yeah, and James Harden in the NBA, that was one where they had only seen him playing with Westbrook and Durant, and everyone thought he could probably be a leading man, He, but he didn't have to do as much there. And and I remember Oklahoma City makes a trade because they decided they, they couldn't or wouldn't pay all three of them max deals Looking back, it was like a six or seven, eight million dollar difference to what they the max was. They didn't want to wait till after the season, so they trade him in that pre right on the eve of almost the season and opening night in Detroit. Harden puts up forty six or forty eight, and even yeah. Houston said, "Wow, like we thought he was really good." But here, what about Indiana trading for Oladipo? There's another example of not knowing how good a guy is until you get him. That's right, and here was a young player who you know, made a leap in his career in that year where young guys are figuring it out, figuring it out, had a lot of coaches already in the NBA, had been bounced around, you know, some bad years with some bad teams in Orlando. And then, and what Oladipo credited to last year when I talked to him about it was having that one year with Westbrook really helped him. Westbrook changed how yeah. he approached and the way he worked. And, and listen, I'm not even second guessing New England Brady, like it would have been the gutsiest move of all time. It's just an interesting dynamic because if there was any owner and coach slash general manager, emperor, whatever Bill's title is there, if there was anyone who could have pulled it off and been willing to maybe, you know, got a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on it, it would have been New England. They could have done it. Most other places would have never had, they couldn't withstand trading a player like that. And Belichick might have been the one guy who could have done it. 
Well, they did what they could, and they took it as far as they could, and they would have liked to have taken it further, but the circumstances were such that basically it had run its course. You can't pay both quarterbacks at the end of the year. It's just not going to work. I think that's what they ultimately realized in the end, as much as they would have liked to have kept Jimmy G, as much as people there would have liked to have kept Jimmy G. Absolutely. Let's get to the book, Adam, The Man I Never Met. There's really two parallel stories here, or maybe of interest. One to people is your wife, Sherry, her late husband, Joe Mayo, was uh, lost in the September 11th attacks in the North Tower at the World Trade Center. He worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, and you met Sherry, set up on a blind date years later, and you tell that story. Her, now your son also, Devin, who's on his way to Michigan, just starting out his freshman mm-hmm. year there, was a young child at that time. And that's, and as you say, right at the beginning of the book, this is sort of the story of what happened starting on September 12th. And then, and I think too, that what was really interesting to me too, and I think others who, who know you and have worked with you and have worked in the industry is a little bit the story of your career and where you were professionally in your personal life. And you really, the melding of those two into this broader story. And, and the story about Joe Mayo, right, started with a television piece you did yeah. on the anniversary of September 11th for ESPN. The book was spawned, I think the book idea was spawned out of a Sunday countdown piece you did. That's exactly right, Well, Basically, my wife once came to me and she said, how come you don't ever acknowledge the fact that I'm a 9-11 widow? And I'm like, because you are the most private person I know, and I never thought you'd want any details of your life advertised in public. And she said, I think it would be very nice if, if you could acknowledge and honor Joe. And I said, say no more. So for the 10th anniversary of 9-11, I pitched a story about Joe to ESPN that they passed on at that time. And then when the 15th anniversary was coming up, I pitched him again that spring. And again, they said no. And that year, September 11th fell on the opening day of the NFL season in 2016. And all of a sudden, a couple of months before the season opened, Greg Jewell, a great producer at ESPN, came to me and said, we're going to do a story on Joe. And I was like, great. And I thought to myself, well, what are we going to do? I honestly don't know how we're going to do this. And I spent some time writing out a bunch of lines and a bunch of scripts. But again, didn't know the direction it would go. The producer, Dominique Collins, sat down with my wife, which she doesn't like to do. She doesn't like to go back into the past very often because it was such a dark period in her life. And she spent, I don't know, four hours with Dominique going over everything. Now, it's difficult to condense all of that into a six-plus-minute piece on a man's life. But we did it, and the reaction that that piece elicited when it ran the opening Sunday of the NFL season in 2016 was unlike anything that I've ever experienced in my 28 years in the business. Within minutes, there were texts and emails pouring in from places and people I never heard of, like Bob Iger, the head of our company, sent an email. People in the White House, people in Hollywood, people in sports and other sports, your sport. It was the reach of the piece really surprised me, to be honest with you, the way people reacted to it. And so that somehow led to some people saying, hey, you should turn this into a book. And, and I, I, I don't know, I, was, I had mixed feelings about it. I really didn't know what we were going to do with that. And there were some conversations, and next thing I knew, uh, 
there was a publishing house uh, we had a verbal agreement with, and then a month in they backed out for a reason because they didn't know what the book would be. I, to be honest, I didn't know what the book would be. Uh, we found another deal with another publisher, um, St. Martin's, and we began to put together the book, Michael Rosenberg and I. And basically, whereas there was the six-plus-minute TV piece that ran on ESPN about Joe Mayo, this turned into the 200-page book about Joe Mayo. And there's a big difference between a six-plus-minute TV mm-hmm. piece and a 200-page book, as you could imagine. The book is a lot more detailed, personal, in-depth. Uh, there's just a lot more to it, a lot more layers. And, and you, know, you said the two stories. I think there are a lot of stories to mm-hmm. this. There's Joe Mayo's story primarily. There's my wife's story. There's the story of the Mayo family. There's my story. There's the story of 9-11 itself, how it reacted to other families. And honestly, it was one big giant jigsaw puzzle that um, I think Michael did a tremendous job helping to handle. And I also kept a journal and have kept a journal every single day of my life since 1990. And so I was able to go and literally hand him passages of the journal. Here's my journal from the month of 9-11. Here's my journal from when I moved back to New York in 2000. And six, here's my journal from when Sherry and I met to the point where it was recounted everything that we ate at dinner and, you know, our first kiss and everything like that. And so he had all these outlines of everything just written up. And then he had to help organize that. And then he would say, hey, why did you write a journal? And I have to write up a whole section and send that to him. Or why did you, uh, what do you remember about this? I write up notes and send it to him. And, and he, you know, he put the puzzle together. And so that's basically a long answer to a, a question there and there's a lot to it. And, uh, it's a story about all those things. And basically at its core, Woj, it's a story about grief and hope. Both. It's about September 11th and September 12th. And hopefully people that read it are as moved or even more moved than they were when they saw the TV piece that first ran on ESPN in 2016. Yeah. And you, describe this in, in really very honest detail in the book. You were in, a, I think, a pretty emotional, maybe vulnerable place mm-hmm. right at the time you got set up on a blind date with Sherry. And what was really mm-hmm. interesting to me is and Sherry wanted you to know that she was a 9-11 widow before yeah. you guys met on your first date. Why? I, I just think it was important for her to put all your cards on the table and put everything out there. And she didn't want to go out on a date with somebody that halfway through dinner, the guy hears, oh, you're a 9-11 widow with a six-year-old son. I'm not interested. Like, why even waste anyone's time? And so it was important for her, for people to know in advance exactly uh, what they were stepping into if they went out with her. And so when I heard it, it certainly did not fit the image or picture of what I had in mind for the woman that I would meet. But then again, frankly, to be perfectly frank, I didn't know what it was that I was looking for because I had spent so long and tried so hard to meet somebody and it had been unsuccessful. And, you know, it's funny. We're talking about this this morning. Mort called me and I wasn't expecting the call. And he said, I just want to let you know, I, I just finished the book and it is remarkable is what he told me. And he said, there are things in there so many things that I didn't even know about you. And, and we've worked side by side for a decade. And, and I consider us to be as close professionally as you could be. And he was, 
I mean, he was, he was so surprised. He couldn't believe how honest everything was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I guess that if we're going to be honest when we're telling the story of Joe and we're going to be honest about telling the story of Shari and we're going to be honest about telling the story of the male family, I mean, there's no reason that I shouldn't be completely honest about my life. And that's what we did. And I think it surprised Mort. It surprised others who have read it. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I even got a text from someone that we work with, uh, Mike Cambrary, when, it first, when he first read it about a month ago, two months ago. He said, wow, the layers of the onion were really peeled back there. So I, I think people weren't expecting what they got. How much did having Mike Rosenberg write the book with you make it easier for you to – you almost had a sounding board as you two worked on it to say, should I go there? Should I reveal that? For someone to say, hey, we need this or this would yeah. help, how, how did that process work between you and him? That's a great question, Wojan. I'll say this to you, that when we – agreed to do the book, I'll be honest and say, I never thought that it would go the direction that it did with my life. Like I honestly, this was supposed to be about Joe and Shari and then me meeting Shari and then, you know, our relationship after that. Um, and I kept having that tug of war with Michael, you know, less of me, more of Joe. I kept telling, that was my mantra throughout the entire process. And, and he kept saying, no, we, we, we want, we want some of you too here. And and he, in reading the journal, I think, knew those areas to include the loneliness, the vulnerabilities, the physical and emotional mental problems that I had at that point in time. And so, again, I, I, I really, I didn't set out to include that. I didn't know that I was going to include that. And if I had written the book all on my own, I don't know that all of that would have been in there, but we as writers, I've written other books for people before I've worked with people to do that. And you've worked with people to tell their stories. You know, what's compelling and what's not, you know, what's interesting and what's not. And Michael is the great writer that he is sought certain material. And again, I didn't feel it was fair of me to withhold anything that he asked me about and basically tried to be as transparent as I could be. You know, there are all sensitive things we, in different kinds of pieces that we do throughout our careers, where somebody opens up their world to you, you write Mm -hmm. about it. I remember, uh, you know, Joe Mayo was worked at Cantor Fitzgerald. And I remember after 9-11, I was at the record in New Jersey. And in fact, that Monday night, I was actually at that same Giants Broncos game. I was covering it. It was a Monday night game for the record, wow. right? Kerry Collins, Jim Fossil, and I got up the next yeah. morning to get my flight. It was a Tuesday morning, and I was getting ready to go to the airport. And um, obviously, it was a little bit earlier out west, and all this started to happen. And and so, Roz, you're, you're not flying anywhere today, and or for a few days. And you know, so I remember I was in Denver for a few days before I could start to make my way back east, but I did a long piece about a young, uh, he had been a basketball coach and spent a lot of time with, you know, his close friends and his, his widow and, you know, wrote about, you know, sort of the aftermath of that. And and those are pieces where, you know, people open up their world to you. You hope you tell it honestly and, and the best way you can. And you hope that they're pleased with it. There's sometimes you write things, and you know, people aren't going to be very happy with it and you have to, you accept that it's part of the job. But there are those pieces. But this is different. This is 
your wife and your son and then your wife's in-laws, so Joe's family, this was a whole nother world of how are they going to receive this and how do I tell it and what's the best way to do it? And because if someone else doesn't like it, you do your best, you don't mm-hmm. li- you don't have to live with them. Uh, just such a unique dynamic. Honestly, that was really all that mattered to me during this process that my wife was comfortable with this, that the Mayo family was comfortable with this. If they weren't, uh, it would have been very uh, disappointing, disturbing, troubling. And the interesting thing is my wife didn't read the book till about three weeks ago for the very first time. And I kept offering it up to her. Hey, here's this section. Here's this chapter. Here's the first half of the book. Here, 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 here. But after a while, I know my wife well enough to know she does things when she wants to do them. And she doesn't like to go back to relive the darkest chapter of her life on a regular basis. That she would read the book when she was ready to read the book, not because I asked her to or prodded her to. And so literally one day, a couple of weekends back, I noticed her on the couch just reading. And she was 90 pages in. And I said, so? And she said, it's good. It's very good. And at the end of the book, she got very emotional. It hit her all at once, I guess. And she was crying for the Mayo family primarily, for our son, Devin, you know, who lost his biological father when he was 15 months old, for herself, for being brought back to that dark time. And so, again, as long as she was comfortable with it all, and, and she certainly seemed to be, then, then I'm okay with it. And that worked out okay. That had to be, I imagine, <laughs> you know, we've it was all... Scary. It yeah. was scary. It was scary. Was, honestly, because if she had said to me, you know, a few weeks ago, boy, I don't like it, I would have been like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just mildly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would have been a big problem. And fortunately, you know, because... It was funny. Michael initially sent me like 5,000 words he'd written up about my dating life in Denver. And, and we, and, and I read it and she, and we both didn't like it. And I reworked everything. The tone was off. The message was off. Sherry read it and she's like, what is this? I thought we're doing a book on Joe. Where, where is your dating life coming? I'm like, I, I don't know. I really don't want to do too much of my dating life. And, and we got to the spot we were eventually a year later, which is the book that comes out today. And, you know, you did include your dating life and I don't imagine. You know, most of America who follows Adam Schefter breathlessly for every yeah. breaking news story and and what's always coming next, like that's a lot to give people. I, I can't imagine you ever imagined you would share with people the story no. of your personal life leading up to meeting and marrying Sherry. Well, you know, it's like this. Uh, you know, people think of us as these robots that just basically spit out this information. And that's fine. That's what we do. And we love what we do. We love what we do. But it doesn't mean that we don't have lives with regular problems and issues like everybody else has, because we do. And and these are my problems. And you have things in your life that I'm sure you deal with. And everybody, as my wife says, has something. Everybody has something. So I have this life outside of dispensing information. And, 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 there's a lot of life there. Now, again, my life is uh, in large part dominated by, by what we do. 
and it takes up a significant portion of your life, as I know, but outside of your family and your work, uh, there's not a lot that we do do, but it doesn't mean that there's not issues that come up all the time in our lives. Describe how Sherry has come to accept what you do for a living, how you do it, mm. and the time it consumes, the way it limits like family vacations, although I know it's she doesn't love flying, which probably is a little yeah, helpful, right? We don't in, go on vacation. We really yeah. don't go on vacation. And, and and look, you could answer this question for me because yeah. you and I have had this conversation, and I could – I've said this to you, and I mean this. You can finish my sentences, and I can finish your sentences better than my wife could or your wife could, I'll bet. Because there's nobody or very few people who understand what it's like to live the lives, the professional lives that we do. And again, that's not, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying it's just, it's just different. Like, just like there are doctors who understand what other doctors do and architects who understand what architects do and the issues that they face in their respective industries. And so I understand what you go through and you understand what I go through. And, you know, you could be at a dinner and a GM calls, a coach calls, a player calls, whoever it would be, and you, you can't – well, I'm at dinner with my family right now. Can I call you back later? Which every now and then, depending on the mm-hmm. person, maybe you can. But it's a fine line, and, and my wife does a tremendous job of understanding the life that I lead, and, and this is the life that she chose. But that doesn't mean that every now and then it doesn't annoy her. I don't know how your wife handles that, but I, I could tell – You know, every, it happens a few times a year, three, four times a year, once a quarter almost, where – you could just see it wears on her, wears her out. Like I've been gone at ESPN for 10 days to do free agency and I get home and I'm walking in the door and I get a text about a trade or a signing and mm-hmm. I'm going to tweet it as I'm kissing her hello. And I'm like, hold on, honey, hold on. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's, it's just wrong. Right. But that's it's what wrong. we do. It's wrong on every level, but it, but we, yeah, uh... <laughs> but, but that's our life. <laughs> yep. What did you hope Adam to, you know, Sherry had talked to you initially about, honoring Joe and yeah. their story in the television piece. And then you've done it in a broader way that will reach so many more people with the book. Does it feel like it has, I guess this was something that was always there in your marriage and it will always be there. He is always going to be a part it's, uh, Correct. of your lives and, and um, you embrace that. But does the book put in any, I don't know what the right way to ask this is, not put to rest, but does it? Is there some kind of a closure about maybe you understanding or coming closer to really understanding? Because you had to ask a lot of questions to do this book. You had to dig places that maybe I, I don't yeah. think you had dug before, and she hadn't maybe gone with you. And the telling of the story with Joe's family and with her kind of allowed all that to happen. Now, as you guys go forward, I'll be honest. The thing that that I took out of it, honestly, I learned a little bit more about Joe in this book, uh, that, that was the big thing. And, and I'll be honest, he fascinates me to this day. I'm fascinated with him and the man that he was, uh, because he was such a golden boy and had the Midas touch and was so handsome and so smart and so personable and so well-liked and so well-respected. And, and there aren't many people in my life that are gone that I, that I honestly would love to go sit down and have dinner with my, my father's father, my poppy Marty, who passed away when I was about a year and a half is somebody that I'm fascinated with. Uh, Joe Mayo, I'm fascinated with. John Kennedy, I'm fascinated with. There are certain people in death that I don't know, never have met, 
um, that I, I would love to be able to be reunited with. And in this book, I honestly learned a lot more about Joe than I did about, I knew about Sherry. I, I know what her life was like. I know that she's a type one diabetic. I know what it's like for her to battle her diabetes that came as a result of 9-11. But I didn't know as much about Joe before this book. I mean, I knew the kind of guy he was, mm-hmm. but to hear it all from his friends and some of the details, that to me was more educational and the most new and interesting part of the book that I hadn't seen before. The book is The Man I Never Met by Adam Schefter, St. Martin's Press. It is available online in bookstores. You can download it now on your Kindle, your Nook, and it is a remarkable story. It is a remarkable memoir. I will be really surprised if this does not reach the bestseller list. Adam, love the book and really appreciate you taking the time to visit about it. Well, I appreciate you having me today as your guest. I appreciate you being my friend and I appreciate all the work that you do in the great, great way that you do it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Adam Schefter. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your shows. We'll catch you next time.